and welcome to episode 9 of the Verti Podcast. My name's Nick Perez and I hope you've been enjoying our podcast series so far. In today's episode, we are joined by Verity McIntosh, who is a really amazing voice in the VR space, is Senior Lecturer for Virtual and Extended Realities, the Programme Lead for the MA Virtual Reality at UWE Bristol, which is an industry-led practice-based master's programme looking at VR, AR, MR and 360 video, with, importantly, a focus on the critical interrogation of these emerging fields. Verity was previously managing producer at Watershed's Pervasive Media Studio, a pioneering multidisciplinary research base, and also has a really strong established reputation as a creative producer. Verity advocates for interdisciplinary storytelling that bridges the physical and virtual worlds and argues for a more considered and inclusive approach to audience care in VR experiences. And I'm really excited to be talking to Verity today about her experiences in this area of teaching and nurturing talent but also the potential of this technology. And particularly now at a time where we need to be connected still, but perhaps need to do so in different ways. What is the role of virtuality for conferences, for shared experiences? Creatively, how can I be part of this journey? So let's listen now to this really valuable and rich conversation as we learn more from Verity. Okay, so thank you Verity for joining me remotely for this uh, conversation. Um, Verity, do you want to start by just giving us a little bit of background from anyone that isn't familiar with what you're doing at the university and further afield, it'd be great. Sure. Hi there. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Verity McIntosh and I'm a senior lecturer in virtual and extended realities at the University of West of England, that's UB Bristol. Um, I set up and I'm running one of, the, one of Europe's first master's courses in virtual reality, which is a really kind of broad field looking at virtual and extended realities. And we are a kind of a practice-based master's course looking at some of the critical and ethical parameters of making work in this field, as well as making it to kind of learn by doing. So you mentioned there being uh, the first course or one of the first courses. Was that a brave uh, decision from the university or was it, and yourself, or was it more of a case of, look, this is a, a really growing field. It's time we looked at how we create um, some sort of formal qualification in this space. How did that kind of come to about, you know, come about? So it, the, the inception of the course came about before me, so I'll be careful not to claim it too heavily. But <laughs> <laughs> I was sort of adjacent at the time, so I'll, I'll try and speak to the ideas as, as best I can. Um, so I think particularly in Bristol, there is a really um, sort of hub buzzy moment happening for, for immersive storytelling. Um, some of the big kind of research teams are based in UE Bristol. A lot of the people who are making the most interesting creative work right now happen to be kind of operating through through this region. Um, there are some really strong hub spaces like Watersheds for Basic Media Studio that's home to a number of artists and technologists and researchers that were starting to make some of the kind of work that was breaking through and really kind of pushing the envelope with what's possible in this field. Mm. So I think, um, yeah, I think it was clear that there was a sort of critical mass of interest and activity going on. There was a whole network of people that could be drawn together to, to create something that is kind of more than the sum of the parts. Uh, and in terms of the academic landscape, I think it was increasingly obvious that um, there wasn't a particularly brilliant opportunity to be had, at least locally, to invest some time and some um, have some really great kind of access to resources and people to be able to just dig into what you're doing. If you're thinking about doing this, what do you do? I mean, the, the kind of the opportunities to get stuck in if you weren't already really heavily involved in the industry were a bit few and far between. And we felt like there was a there was a real lack of people coming out of universities with really relevant skills in this. So there was a sort of an absence on both sides um, that felt 
like a bit of a no-brainer to, to put mm. those things together. Um, so I guess the, the idea in about 2016 it was, was to take the, the expertise that the university had out of that kind of research silo and into teaching more so that we could cross those things together and draw in some of the experience that we have from things like film and journalism, from cultural studies, from theatre, from, from performance studies, all of those things that are really relevant to, to this field and coalesce that into a, a more kind of um, industry-focused master's programme. You mentioned there about um, these other influences that, that exist and you've brought in, into that. How important are the other influences, particularly when we're talking about the creative side of virtual and extended realities and such like that yeah and i guess that i should say that is generally our focus we're quite a broad crew um but the the expertise and the interest is primarily in thinking about these immersive technologies as a a new creative medium as a way to to tell stories and construct experiences and kind of create uh, environments that people can live in and discover through so that was kind of i guess the background that a number of us were coming from when we wanted to think about Mm -hmm virtual and extended reality as a creative medium um remind me the question oh no i was uh, just interested in um the other influences that are brought into into the into the picture of, of vr because there, there are some that would challenge that vr is this medium or the genre in its own right but it's like okay so where do we draw those influences where where do we start you know and you mentioned there about theater and film and journalism and such like that how important are they to bring together? Well, I think there's a, there's a temptation anytime a new technology or a, or a kind of an evolution of a technology comes along to regard it as a new medium completely. And people yeah. even kind of rightly challenge whether or not sort of calling a master's virtual reality is, is the right thing to do because it's, it sort of suggests that the, the material is its own genre. Um, and I think in, in the future, in time, we'll come to just regard it as one of many materials that you might build something with. But at the moment, it is it is the thing that's new to the picture. And I think yeah. for me, at least, we are daft if we forget that we've actually learned a great deal about audience experience, about gameplay, about um, the construction of narrative from many, many different industries. And our students come from kind of radio production and from theatre and from dance and from software design and UX. And they come from all sorts of different backgrounds. And we kind of deliberately bring in people with different points of view and different sort of languages that they speak with that, mm. um, that can question it in different ways and try and inherit some of the wisdom they have from their other fields into this new language. How, how refreshing is it to have um, a field where actually the, there, is, there isn't a rule book yet established or there isn't this term which I can't I, I absolutely hate anyway but this term expert you know um is it is it quite is it quite a, a refreshing approach to be able to take that and say well, actually guys we're going to be writing parts of the rule book here or how cool is that <laughs> is that a question I don't know but you know <laughs> it's, the, it's the reason we're all here that's, that's that's how the majority of us got into it we kind of took a little peek around the corner and went what is this and someone went I don't know do you <laughs> let's go find that um I mean, it is, yeah, it is a wonderful uh, kind of open field at the moment. And that is one of the joys of it. And also one of the reasons why we need more people to come at it from different points of view, because whilst this is the exploratory phase, and this is the point where we're we're trying to kind of set what future generations will understand by this medium, it's really important that we don't just have like a tiny clutch of people on the West Coast of America saying this is what it is, because that will inherently just inherit from one specific culture rather than kind of throwing it open and keeping it open um so yeah part of i guess what's important to me right now is that we are trying to seek out and support that talent that's going to bring difference into this field at this sort of narrow end of the wedge such that when it widens out it can widen with with true kind of um breadth 
Yeah. Um, it's, it's early moments to be able to do that. That moment won't last forever. So we're, we're trying to take, in a small way, take a take a sort of step towards that. And you mentioned there, and I think it's a really valid point, you talk about, okay, we can't be, we can't be told how this is going to work from, from the West Coast. I mean, that kind of infers that it's a very technology-driven industry, but you're based in Bristol. I'm down here in Torbay. We represent the Southwest. And I think that's something I'm really proud of. Yeah, definitely. It's, you know, the actually innovation, exploration, creativity happens at every part of the country, of the globe. Is that something that you are very fond to, to keep promoting as well? This idea that you don't have to be in London, you don't have to be in Silicon Valley for these cool things to happen. Yeah, I guess if there's one thing that we're learning from this moment where a lot of people are having to be communicating from being in their homes is that suddenly the, the kind of the geography of it collapses and it suddenly doesn't really matter where we are. It could be you and I could be next door and it wouldn't make any difference to the conversation because we mm. are communicating in, in this in this way that we are. Um, and I think there's something to be learned from that. I guess especially as we're starting to you and I starting to work in this medium that is inherently not sort of geolocated. Um, I mean we can argue that a lot and we probably should. Um, mm. But in in theory, this is a sort of a digital material. This is a virtual platform. We can meet remotely from other sides of the world and feel quite closely connected together. It can feel like a very kind of physical, um, relational, spatial experience. So why, if that's the case, does it matter where you are or where I am? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And on this, on the kind of the subject of connectivity and, and remote connectivity, which is very relevant at the moment as you know people start working from home, as, as we face this pandemic, what is, in your mind, the role of uh, virtual reality, uh, augmented reality, extended realities, however you want to term and term all of all that technology right now for connectivity? Do you think? I think the thing that I'm learning most about this is is about social platforms. I hadn't really spent a lot of time with social VR. It just wasn't mm. sort of a huge part of my day to day life. Um, I think partly because the adoption levels are still pretty low, and the people that I can and could hang out with in VR was still pretty small, small family. Um, but because yeah. of the, the changing needs of, of the, the COVID-19 outbreak, um, the students and I have been spending a good amount of time in virtual reality. Friends who are, you know, who I've sort of known over the years through the, the sort of the immersive scene who are in the States or who are in South Africa or who are in Australia, who happen to have kits have been able to, you know, we've been able to spend time together. So I think that has really taught me a good deal about the difference between the lovely thing that we're doing right now, which has its has its merits, but we're effectively kind of head and shoulders in video screens and yeah. recording a podcast, <laughs> and those much more kind of um, physically inculcated moments where you're actually uh, attending a, a virtual space together. It's a very different paradigm, and it's a very different way of behaving together. It's definitely not the same as being physically together, but it's a whole different genre that I think I'm only starting to to explore myself now and I would encourage others to try and do the same if you're able to it's quite a different way of being together yeah I mean I attended my first virtual conference uh, a few weeks ago it was a healthcare one and it it came about um through um Sarah Hatsumi and, and Rosie Collins because we were meant to be attending this conf healthcare conference in LA we jumped in on alt space and it was my first social experience in, in VR. I'm, you know, I'm afraid to say, in the sense that I haven't tried it sooner. And it was both really incredible and quite bizarre at the same time. I can't, I, I still can't quite. I need, to, I need to do it a few more times to really process it. 
But you're right about the idea of the space, even the movements of the avatar, the fact that there's a stage present and there there are people talking in different space. It takes a while to, to get the idea, but it's very different, isn't it, than this 16 by 9 sort of head and shoulders type image that we're used to through video conferencing. Do you think there is going to be a whole other avenue exploring the social connectivity of virtuality like that then? it could be i think the the other sort of thing to watch in this is obviously there's been a real shift in attitudes about um climate crisis and the the urgency of um a need to kind of shift behaviors and there is there is a sort of a sweet spot there potentially where rather than um spending vast amounts of pollutants and, and money to travel across the world to go to various different conferences if this if these sorts of platforms continue to improve and give us a sense of being there and being there together and work towards things like the kind of serendipitous nature of bumping into people when you're sort of popping out for a breath of fresh air or, or having yeah. a coffee. Um, I think if that sort of stuck, because I think conferences are, are great, but they, they can be a bit challenging in social VR because you do yeah. just sort of, you've got this slightly Patrick Swayze and ghost thing where you're there, but you're not there. And can you be heard? <laughs> you're not. Is it rude? What, what's the social etiquette? There's a lot of that that still needs to be figured out. Yeah. Um, but I think potentially especially if, if it becomes a more kind of familiar object in the home, that people just have a headset in the corner of their living room or somewhere that they can kind of jump in and out of without feeling weird about that, yeah. then it, it could kind of um, help us towards those ambitions of, of being more climate responsible. Even when it comes to um, seeing parts of the world or um, history, wildlife, all those sorts of things, we're starting to see this... Um, this surge of interest of the of the virtual tour. I noticed just yesterday there are the number of zoos that are doing virtual zoo trips and things like that as well. Where, you know, in person we can't do it, but the next best thing is this idea of the virtual. And lots of people in the past have, have said, but isn't virtuality this very isolating experience? You put this headset on and you sat in a corner and away you go and that's it. For me, it's been about actually enhancing connectivity in many ways, or at least looking what's appropriate for, for, for those enhancements of human connectivity. Is that something you share as well? Is what, What's your feelings around that kind of idea? It's, it's such, I mean, this is the weirdness of virtual reality particularly, though, is that from an, from an external person watching someone doing virtual reality, it's hard yeah. to imagine it as anything other than a sort of a, like a weird zombie in the corner who's kind of just strapped a plastic face bucket to their head and <laughs> And I think that is, a, that is a real challenge. It looks really antisocial. It looks really isolating. It looks kind of claustrophobic. Um, and so for me, I find it really strange that a lot of people's first experiences sort of VR in shopping centres where people are just sort of staring at these odd people who don't see them anymore. It's, a, it's such a weird social paradigm when you look at the, those that are in headsets and those that aren't. And I think that's, that's a real challenge. Um, but I think until, until people have that direct experience of being that, that person who's in that space, who has sort of kind of detached themselves from that reality that, they, that the others are seeing them in and mm. instead is embracing this kind of extensive, um, potentially kind of infinite space that has its own interests and its own curiosities and its own things for you to, to do and engage with and often you know, people that you can explore that with. Um, it's, it's a really weird mismatch of experiences. And I think once people become a little bit more familiar with what is going on in that space or what could be going on in that space, yeah. we may become a bit more kind of empathetic to what one another are up to. Yeah. 
I mean, yeah, it's, it may also be that we are a bit more thoughtful about where we choose to do it because I do, I do think the audience experience of being kind of plunked in a headset in a shopping center while a queue of people take photos of you or kind of try and make you jump whilst you're in a, in a queue to test it. It's not, that's not a particularly friendly experience. It's no. going to put a lot of people off. Um, and this idea of somebody in a headset becoming a spectacle in and of themselves, I found really, really irresponsible. Um, you mentioned earlier sort of Catherine Allen and others are working towards thinking of ways to make it more like a cinema experience where you go to a venue, you have a private room, you're with other people, you're well briefed, you're well looked after and you're hosted and you know that you're not going to be made to look foolish. You know something of what's going to happen when you go into the headsets um, and you have a kind of a guided experience with time to come back to work afterwards and to share thoughts and experiences. That to me is, is more where we're going with those kind of out of home experiences. And yeah. I think in home we'll kind of just find it's, find a place where we feel comfortable and relaxed and safe and confident to go into those spaces. The experience you have sort of pre headset, if you like, and then the debrief afterwards or that, that time to decompress is, is part of the experience It's part of the journey. And, and it needs to be considered as important as the experience itself, doesn't it? And, the respect that has to has to be there from somebody who's going to go in VR to someone who's facilitating that is is really really quite important. If um if we open up the conversation and to this idea of creativity and actually looking at how we encourage others to become part of the journey, if you like. So we've got the audience, um, and there's always going to be this question of adoption and how quickly that happens and such. But when, it, when we talk about content creators and, and, and those that want to get involved in, in a content production sort of way, what words of encouragement do you, would you provide to those people that feel, okay, you know what, I'm not really, really, really technical, but I've got, and I know we've had this pre-conversation about the, the idea of the technician, if you like, or the, you know, what, what can, what, you know, who is this for? Let's start there. <laughs> oh gosh, those were many questions in one. I know, I'm um, sorry, I can't, I can't help it. My head goes boosh. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I guess to, to slightly address the, the, the pre-convo just for um, those listening, it's a, it's a slightly weird moment that we're in that I think applies to lots of different areas of kind of creative endeavor right now. There's just under, this assumption that you're either a creative or a technologist. Yeah. And I find that really challenging um, in that sort of people want to know which silo you're in which box are you who, which one which one are you what can you, you know, which bit do you do um, prior to my current job I ran a place called the pervasive media studio in Bristol which was a kind of melting pot for for all of that so creative technologists were a pretty common thing people would sort of start imagining that they're entirely creative and end up being a kind of a very technologically active person and vice versa um, and we worked quite hard over 10 years to try and sort of bust that assumption that you have to pick a team because it was just mm -hmm. very restrictive and it made a lot of people count themselves out of what they wanted to do because I'm not a turkey or I just do technical stuff um, and it, <laughs> it felt like that was we were getting some progress with that as an industry and this was sort of pre-VR really yeah um, and I think VR has just kind of thrown it back into those buckets again and it's a really difficult thing because what this industry needs right now is really wonderful content for people to experience that demonstrates the potential of this new medium that really thinks like what are these new affordances that means it's not a tv screen that means it's not a game it's not a performance it's it's somewhere else or something in between those things and it really does require people who are kind of really looking at it from a creative perspective from a materiality perspective from a kind of structural perspective 
all at the same time to be able to work out what it is that that's going to make the difference in this field mm. so you can't you can't really just come at it from one angle and i think we need to all give ourselves license to go well i'm not like mega techie but i could probably like watch a couple of youtube videos and work out at least what the people who know more about it are talking about and i i guess part of what we're trying to do with the masters course is give people a, a bit of a literacy in all of those things and all the different components that are going to be needed. So we yeah. look at things like art styles, we look at um, UX, we look at the sort of developer side of Unity a little bit, little bit. We look at the creative components, we look at the ethical implications, we look at that user experience. Um, there's just, there's, yeah, the, the intention I think there is to try and get people to a point where they know enough about the other specialisms that exist to feel confident that their one is going to contribute to that mix, but that they also know how to work with people who have different specialisms yeah. and they can just shortcuts a lot of those conversations. Now, if you have a sort of a master author who goes, I need this. And then the developer has to sort of go away for, for six, six weeks and come back and go like this. And they go, no, Oh, well you didn't say well, <laughs> not going to work then. And you know, you've, you've seen, I'm sure yourself a number of collaborations that basically go that way. And, and everybody sort of ends up, using their time really poorly and falling out and having expectations met and not met. Um, it, I think it's because we're quite early in this medium and there are a bunch of language clashes where people use the same word to mean different things or yeah. don't use or don't understand one another's language. So it feels like this is the point where we just need to educate ourselves a little bit more in what are those component parts? What are these things that we need to become a little bit more literate with to make, our, to make us all better collaborators and to make us be able to kind of accelerate this process and become a bit more comfortable working in this medium so that we can push it forward. You know, you, you don't often appreciate, I guess, from an outside perspective, actually how important co-design, uh, you know, in this, this idea of I'm working together effectively, that there's a deep human connection there and a, and a respect, again, that has to exist between appreciating someone's background and yours. And actually, we can co-create something quite amazing here if we know how to effectively work together. There's, do you know what I'm getting at? It's, it's not it's not all about the apparatus it's about co-design in its purest form and that's and that's for me that's that's really really quite fascinating you know we, we read lots of reports about okay we need to we need to get find the skill set for, for future industries and such like that and working and and, and teaching this this ma course is it, part of what you're doing this idea of getting the, the the workforce of tomorrow kind of prepared or is it more of a case of trying to still inform the conversation because it's so early on I think it can be both, but I think, yeah, I think there's a definite, um, I mean, obviously we wouldn't put on the course if we didn't think that it was going to enhance the employability of our graduates and yeah. to kind of to the ecosystem. Um, and I think, you know, it's report after report has been coming out the last couple of years from sort of uh, UK and from PwC and so on. There is a really understood skills gap in this. Um, and a lot of the same people are making all the work, which is a really narrow capacity. Um, so, yeah, there, there's a there's a real need. Most, I think it was 97% of companies working in this industry said that they were struggling to find the, the workforce that they needed because there just isn't enough yeah. of a um, pipeline behind this particular moment we're in because it is quite new still. Uh, and that's that's a real issue. So it, it does need the, the likes of us, hopefully, and, and various others in the field to start help um, kind of free that up and create a bit more uh, capacity in this industry so that we can move quicker and we can meet those interesting needs and also I think we're in this peculiar area where this is not one industry the potential for virtual and extended realities um, 
kind of seeps into virtually every industry. I mean, the work that you've been doing, it's the idea of sort of simulation and training is being picked up absolutely everywhere. Uh, and so there's this sort of incredibly quick translation from something not really existing at all to existing almost everywhere, at least in theory. Uh, and whether or not it does is really dependent on whether there are people that are prepared to come and really kind of uh, take part in that and push that forwards and become become that generation of innovators that actually make that happen mm. um so yeah i think the temptation is to talk about content and content is obviously the thing that will that will sort of sustain the adoption yeah but if there's nobody making it exactly <laughs> those kind of pioneers and those sort of thought leaders driving it forward and pull it and inspiring other people to join them and, and making the case for why it's necessary and why it's why it's interesting or why it's um unclear and untested and why that's good then the whole thing just becomes very niche and it will just sort of sit where it sits and, and that will be what happens. So there is a nice moment to be had where if we can, if we can build, that, build that community out a bit, um, then it will make a big difference to what happens next. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we've, we've actually spoken about some of the obstacles that are still kind of present. Is there anything else you feel that is still kind of hindering, I, I guess, this idea of mass adoption, you know, and, and at scale is, is something that I'm always a bit, in, in your eyes, what, what are some of the um, obstacles that are still lie ahead for virtual reality uptake, do you think? Quite an expensive, quite a, an intimidating platform to engage with. Um, yeah. Other than some kind of quite sort of simple, playful AR filters for your phone, most people's experience of this is still that it's not for me. You know, I have a whole... Um, project that I run with my friends called um, Virtual Reality. It's not for me. Where we just go around with a with a sort of touring photo photo shoot studio and get people to come and tell us why they think, oh, it's not for me. And it's often sort of, that's going to mess up my hair. I'm going to get makeup on. I'm going to look foolish. It's not, you know, um, it's a game thing. I don't do games. You know, there's a, there's any number of reasons why people are just kind of counting themselves out. Mm. Some of them, are, most of them, actually are really practical around the headsets looking like they're going to yeah, make you feel foolish or you don't know what's going to happen or it just feels like a step too far to, to have that in your house. So I think kind of the perception of what it is will make a big difference to whether or not it um, moves yeah. into a consumer space in any real way. Uh, I think, you know, enterprise level, it looks like it's kind of already going there and particularly as the sort of AR headsets develop, um, there's a sort of utility to that that's unlikely to, to need too much push. I think there's a, there's a bunch of stuff that's, I think definitely whether or not the creative sort of ex exhibition and distribution model gets figured out is going to make a difference, just to explain what that means, I guess. So that at the moment, we're seeing some really wonderful work being made, often um, by people who come from creative backgrounds who are used to making things for film festivals for exhibitions for galleries um, and the opportunity to show work in those contexts is, is there through kind of, um, extensions of existing film festivals uh, and in galleries but there isn't then the the sort of publish moments that you would expect with a film you take it to a film festival you win the palm door you win sort of the oscar and then it goes everywhere in the cinemas and we just don't have cinemas in that yeah. way for this kind of experience so it's quite a it's quite a narrow opportunity for some of this work to be seen. A lot of it is is quite sort of um, particular and bespoke, and so wouldn't really make it into the app stores even if that were a desired outcome. Yeah. So we're, we're kind of lacking the infrastructure or the sort of plumbing that's needed for the content that's being made to get to a more a more kind of mainstream audience. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a big challenge that's going to have to be tackled or not tackled in the next few years. Yeah. There's still a big commitment involved in that, even when we dismiss the lower fidelity virtual reality. So I'm still a fan of the Oculus Go as well, you know, and, you know, the Quest's great and that more high fidelity headsets are great as well. There's still a serious cost involved, though, isn't there, to, to get it to start in VR? And it's. Is it, this is yeah. over. There are two Oculus Goes on the wall behind Nick. Oh, oh right. Okay, yeah. But, yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for your point. Until quite recently, until things like the, the, the Go and the Quest started coming out, a lot of the kit presupposed that whoever was going to buy it would also probably have a big fat gaming PC somewhere and yeah. um, they would have a certain amount of kind of computer science literacy to be able to set it up in the first place and then maintain it when it was a nightmare and to be able to kind of have a, a sort of in-home lab for something that was really a sort of developer tool. Um, you know, they were amazing once they got going, but often, yeah, to, to have one in the first place was expensive, but also quite sort of technically challenging um, and to maintain it more so. Yeah. Uh, with things like the Go and the Quest, I think we're seeing much more kind of um, entry-level friendly things that you can just pop on out of the box. You don't have to do vast amounts of setup. They're relatively intuitive. I think that makes a huge, huge, huge difference mm. um, what's possible now. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I think things like the Google Cardboard, when the New York Times kind of sent one to every one of their, their subscribers, it's like, well, there's a million people who have a direct experience of this using just their phones. And it's kind of a sadness that, that mobile VR, so putting a phone in a, in a device is basically kind of defunct as of this year. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't for, um it took this idea that we're going to not try and sell you on a technology that you don't know. We're going to say the thing that you already have, the thing that you've already spent the money on has this additional functionality. Um, and it's a shame that that's gone so quickly because I think before enough people had a chance to sort of experience that directly, it yeah. got kind of educated to the, to these more one-in-one units. So now people do have to go, well, I'm going to take that decision to spend a not modest amount of money yeah. Um, on something that I may not have very much direct experience of or know what the content's going to be or know what's needed of me to, to do it. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. I mean, I think 400 quid mark is a good direction of travel because it's now less than most phones. It's less than most consoles. Um, so it sort of comes towards this like gifting window for certain families, although yeah. for me that's, still, <laughs> that's a lot. Um, but it's, it's a, it sort of suggests the direction of travel and we can assume that these things are going to get more and more um, mm. affordable and have the usability that we, we would like to see. So it's, it's a, yeah, it's sort of, it's promising. We, we've, we've spoken and we, and we focus on some of the obstacles that are still there and I, and I totally agree with that, but there must be some key things that for you, you've either watched or you've been part of that are just, you felt, okay, this is why we have to take this seriously. I just wonder what those might be. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I think it is an extraordinary medium it's an extraordinary material it's not like anything i've experienced before um my initial training was in theater and uh i absolutely loved performing mm-hmm. and i realized over time as an adult i was less into watching people perform <laughs> the worst kind of theater enthusiast and I, I wanted to be up there i wanted to be in the story i wanted to be making it happen and i wanted to be living it didn't really want to be in a slightly uncomfortable velvet chair really far away up in the eaves sort of half looking at it um and i think for me with that background when virtual reality came along and suddenly that's exactly where i was i was in the the heart of this incredibly 
rich, intriguing, sort of performative environment often, um, where the potential for the characters to kind of look me right in the eye and speak to me and ask me to contribute or to participate felt like viscerally exciting. Um, and it just opened up such a different mode of experience for me. It was much more akin to sort of the immersive theatre that we were starting to see from Punch Drunk and others. Yeah. Um, I think the, the opportunity to be able to construct something that gives people that direct experience of being somewhere, not, not watching something being somewhere, was incredibly sort of seductive for me. Mm. And I think I was working with a lot of... Um, artists and companies at the time who were starting to see that same potential and I was starting to help them to kind of make those connections and figure out how they were going to make that real um, and it felt like that was still too rare an opportunity yeah. so I think that's why I've sort of ended up where I am now because I think we just need to create more opportunity for people to take those steps into that world um, but yeah I'm still boggled every time really I, I see something new that uh, that just gives me that immediately transporting experience whether it's a kind of comedy thing or a drama thing or a documentary thing or a, or a game piece or a, or a piece that's sort of um <laughs> even things that are quite utilitarian sometimes just that fact that i am still where i started in a room with a thing strapped on but i am also somewhere else now i'm, I'm someone else now i'm somewhere else i have that um that kind of dual persona now uh, i find incredible yeah. that's some of the work i'm making at the moment really um, plays with the fact that you are very aware that you are in two places at once and that you should not really lose track of that. This idea that you sort of leave your, leave your body in meat space and go to the virtual world is less appealing than this idea that you, you're very aware that your virtual experience and your physical experience exist together. I think that can be really fun. So let me ask you uh, kind of one last question. What does, in your mind, the future of all of this look like? What, what are, what are going to be our big wins as well out of all this do you think so the thing that i'm curious about in the future is what happens when it all goes outside um a lot of my work previous to this was in public space and thinking about how kind of technology can enable playfulness in public space um, i used to run a thing called playable city and there is a real um potential of kind of using technology as a creative as a creative tool to enable virtual experience in public space at the moment because of the the limitations of the technology we are very much kind of where we have to find a safe space in a relatively like lighting controlled environment to do this thing the moment we start having kind of mixed reality or vintage reality visors that we can wear outside the kind of the, the rule books change because we potentially have this digital layer yeah. to the real world that comes with us as we move and that knows where we are and that uses all those sort of affordances that we know from our smartphones about um, kind of geotagged experience design that becomes a whole new thing and I think there's a lot of like wondrous possibility with that I think there's also a lot of ethical challenges with that we, we sort of know from the early for early forays into that with Google Glass that actually it can be incredibly obnoxious to be the person seeing this digital view when everybody else isn't and maybe you're recording everybody maybe you're not um, can be an incredibly uh, sort of, yeah, obnoxious is the word. Um, and it can create kind of tiers of behavior between people who are augmenting their existence and people who aren't. But if we imagine a, a scenario where you could kind of consensually and um, collectively choose to take part into a, into a, in a digital layer that connects to the physical one, this now feels like a, a really intriguing new playing field. I think there's lots of research that needs to go on into what the 
what the sort of etiquette is of that and what the ethics is of that, but also like what are the creative possibilities of working that way. So yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in it for the, for the longer game at this point to see what that moment might look like for us and how people who are currently spending the time getting to know these materials now will be poised and ready to, to really expand it when it becomes part of a more um, expansive and collective experience. Can I just say thanks ever so much for joining me on on the podcast? It was really enlightening. Lots of really fascinating conversation there, and, and, and food for thought. And I think um, really that is a positive outlook still, isn't there, for this technology and 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 for how we certainly encourage talent and 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 making sure that it is a open and inviting space for everybody with all these different influences to be able to be part of. You bang on. <laughs> it's, it's creating the conditions for this to thrive, isn't it? And part of that is making spaces for people to to question it and to to kind of live with it and to find their own voice within it and to and to kind of bring that forward. So, yep, I'm all for it. Now is now is the time to play. Mm-hmm.